many people in the service business need to focus on transcending that transaction, focusing on that relationship with the customer, relationship on their vendors, invest more in a relationship and use what technology can do. And that's not brain science. That's happened generation after generation with anything that disrupts. It's using the disruption to your advantage and not letting it disintegrate you. Hello, I'm Steve Klass with the business breakthrough you've been waiting for. We're here taking service businesses to a million dollars and beyond. Let's see what kind of impact the next 30 minutes will have on your life and your business. Hello, and welcome back to Service Business Success with Class, the podcast that brings you inside the operations of top-tier service businesses. I'm your host, Steve Class, and today I'm in con- I am incredibly excited to welcome a dear friend and industry pioneer, Jack Ezon, the brain behind Embark Beyond, one of the most distinguished luxury travel agencies in the game. Jack and I have had the chance to work together, and I can attest to the sheer brilliance and passion he brings to the table. Today, he's here to share his insights, strategies, and his philosophy of creating a business that doesn't just serve customers, but wows them with unforgettable experiences. We'll explore how he's mastered the art of team building and the secrets behind delivering a luxury a luxury experience that exceeds every expectation. So whether you're looking to elevate your team's performance or seeking to wow your customers with memorable experiences, this episode is going to be the treasure trove of insights you've been waiting for. Get ready to embark pun intended, on a journey filled with enriching lessons, industry secrets, and inspiring conversations. Let's get into it. Welcome to Service Business Success with Class. All right, everyone. I am here with Jack Ezon. This man I actually used to work work uh, for a number of years ago. He's the one who introduced me to what really luxury travel was and, and should be. Uh, I, I worked a couple events with him overseas. This is super, super high-end um, hospitality. I learned from the best. He is the best when it comes to travel and hospitality services. In addition to that, he is a marathon runner. He's an avid soul cyclist, an overall wonderful person to be around. So Jack, thank you so much for being coming on the podcast with us. Thank you. Thanks for making me sound so much better than I really am. <laughs> I stop. <laughs> so so this, this, is, this is wonderful, man. This is kind of coming full circle. It's always great to, to reconnect with some old buddies. Um, uh, we I, had some crazy times back then. You were just oh, saying Marrakesh, Puglia, crazy, crazy, multi-million dollar parties. Oh, I, I remember the one in Puglia in particular. We uh, we had a custom um, like beach converted. It was an empty beach and we turned it into this unbelievable venue overnight, basically. Uh, so it's some good times, good memories. Yeah, but I would love to um, rewind the clock a little bit because I know that you were weren't always the travel guru and the, and the king of hospitality. You had a uh, uh, probably more of a, a unique traditional path originally. Uh, from my understanding, you were a lawyer at first, right? I was secretly. I was yeah, a secretly. lawyer. I still yeah. am a lawyer technically, but I don't practice anymore. Yeah, no when, I, when I told my uh, parents that I wanted to ditch the law at a big, huge law firm making a big salary and get into travel, they were like, what? <laughs> what did you pay for? Law school? All this? And you want to be a what? The travel travel agents don't make money. <laughs> it was crazy. So what was that transition like? What what made you want to get out of the law field? Was it fulfillment or was it like how'd you get started getting this travel bug side of you? We probably don't have time for the whole story, <laughs> but in in like like a quick cup sum. Um, I loved travel. I was obsessed with it. And I went into law because I really didn't know what else to do. My dad was a lawyer. Dad, uh, you know, I went to law school. And at the time, they're like, just take it because it's good to, to have. And so I ended up at a big firm. And I was working every night till like one in the morning, midnight. Like, this is what you do and grind. And I wasn't enjoying myself. And I saw all the partners there doing the same thing. That was like, the future is not going to change my life. Um, and, uh, you know, at the same time, love travel, planning trips. I was doing lots of group trips for fundraisers and for young adults. Um, and it was really what I loved to do in my spare time. So we got lucky. It was back then, if anybody's uh, young, they don't really know, but like 30 years ago, it was 1999. And well, not 30 years ago, but close. Uh, uh, and um, the internet age, the internet was just coming of age the stock market was going insane and literally 
you know, I became a millionaire overnight day trading. Like everybody else, I wasn't that smart. All you did, all the boys, we all did it. And I lost every penny. Don't worry, don't get too excited. But um, you were day trading and you can make so much money. It was it was insane. And anything with a dot com was flying off the shelf. Um, my friend and I, a friend of mine and I, who used to travel together, we, we picked up on this concept of wholesale airfares, uh, which isn't normally published. And we, we built a business plan and did a whole dog and pony show to create something called Travel Works, which was a last, uh, which was a whole uh, cons- consolidator of airline wholesalers. So you get on the website, you can find all these great fairs all over the world. We actually got funded almost $60 million by a company based in Germany a travel technology company. And once we got that, we were like, I'm out of here. And I left the law. Um, I was like that typical kid at the time that was on the cover of the Wall Street Journal that, you know, left day trading, life's changing, going to start a new startup. And within six months, not even, it was like April or May of 99, I think the whole market crashed. You're too young to know. And so did the company that (laughs) was funding us. And the whole industry was like just out. And so I was literally on the street trying to figure out what to do. I didn't want to go back to law. And I started to do consulting for um, anyone that was in internet space or the travel space because that's kind of what I now knew. And I landed with a company that was called Lawyers Travel at the time, which became Ovation. Uh, My first job, as you mentioned, out of college. That's how we know each other. and they wanted to start a last-minute luxury travel website. And for me, um, that was my dream, right? I got the gig with a company called Focusrite, who we were working with on our original business to try to launch it. And they were consulting with Hoyer's Travel. And so we started this company called Wanderlux. And I was so all in, not only as a consultant, but I eventually became a partner in the, that business because it was everything I loved. And that's when I first realized if you can work with your heart and your head at the same time, you can be infinitely successful. It's when you marry the things that you love, you never work a day in your life. And I've heard people say they're like actors, but sure. I never understood how that could be, especially, you know, Grunt worked in the law firm. Um, and it was probably, I started my um, my first day in the job was at this trade show called Virtuoso in Las Vegas, where all the top hotels all over the world come. And it was like being in a candy store for a week. It was everything called to me. And so I accelerated very quickly and helped build this website. And by mistake, I started growing a business that I didn't even know. Friends heard I was in, this, you know, in luxury travel and started calling me. But then another thing happened, 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> They go to travel again. Yeah. So that yeah. shut down, right? Um, and by mistake, I was still doing travel friends and that business kept growing. I, I got I, I, I was recruited from another company to build a last minute, not a last minute, a, um, a honeymoon registry website. Again, travel, technology, internet. And that's how I was being, you know, uh, you know, sold kind of or recruited. And so I built that at a company called Pro Travel at the time. Um, and again, by mistake, I'm building a personal book of business that's already about $5 million, all high-end, all luxury. Was this was this relatively within a span of a year, you would say? Like this kind of explosive Probably growth? three years. Wow. Three or four nice. years. And literally, I can't take credit for it. It was by mistake. It was, I don't know, people are calling me. People want my advice. I don't know anything, right? I'm new to this business. I had to hire people to do the work for me. I didn't even know how to air, issue an airline ticket. <laughs> but, you know, when you have people that want to spend a lot of money, you have to treat them well and make sure that you know, you build relationships to make sure they're delivered on the other end. I think I had an advantage because I was young. Don't ever trade on being young because it gets old. But I was young at the time. And I was probably about... The only person, one of two people maybe that was 25 years younger than the next youngest travel agent, where everybody back then was all gray hair and wheelchairs. So I was like this cool new guy selling travel that all the hotel owners and managers wanted to know me. I can't take credit, but I was able to build a great relationship and a great network of people around the world. And I also had an internet story to play with in the beginning, but I really think that helped fuel this by mistake business growth 
along with a commitment to treating everyone around me, treating them right, and using a barometer of just doing what's right, doing what's good, and figuring that out along the way. I think you're, you're giving yourself too little credit. You, you are definitely uh, being humble here. The hard work I've seen you put in, the long hours, maybe a little bit of that law work ethic rubbed off for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you, but as I said, when you work with your heart and your head at the same time, the hours just peel away. Like, I don't mind working 15 to 18 hour days. I mean, usually sure. you've seen us on site. Oh, yeah. We don't even sleep. Nowadays. We just no, go through. You're lucky to take a nap. And if you love it, it's like, it's like you're exhausted, but it's like energizing. And and you think beyond what's in front of you because it embodies everything about you. So if we can peel back the curtain a little bit, because sure. back in the day, travel used to be the way you would get paid as a consultant was commissions from the airlines. Right. And that changed uh, when in the 80s or 90s, I believe they kind of yeah, did the a, 90s. They did a 180 there. So if anyone who's listening, how, how do travel consultants get paid now if they're not if the airlines kind of close the books on that? Interesting. So um, there are always ways to make money when you're creative and you need to think about making money in a way where everyone feels like they're whole, not ripping anybody off. I don't believe in gouging. So first of all, when you do a left business with anyone, even if there's no such thing as commissions, there's payment and commissions. And so, you know, if you're doing a few million dollars or $10 million with a certain airline and another airline wants that business, they're going to start offering you some incentives. And then once you start moving that business, someone else is going to offer you back incentives to bring it back. And that's the way the world works in every scenario. And so while airline commissions don't really exist, they still exist for people that have value. Um, also, we make money when we sell hotels. Usually hotels will pay us the percentage. It's around 10%, and we are not afraid to say that. But really, we make our money in charging service fees. And I think at the turn of the, the millennium is when service fees, while hard to sell in some point, if you were focused on the high-end luxury market, it was respectable and expected almost to charge a service fee to get service. And if you don't want to pay a fee, that's fine. You just don't get service. It's you know, it's not an insult. It wasn't that. It was and, and coming new into the business, I think it was very much easier for me to start off with a fee model than someone who was 60 or 70 and never did that before in their life and now had to reinvent the way they worked with their existing customers. Yeah, and I think that um, like if someone wants to just book travel on orbits at Travelocity, Go right ahead, by all means. But I, I think the expectation comes work, working with a professional travel consultant, someone who knows the area, knows the key players, knows how to elevate your experience to unimaginable heights. There is going to come a demand for some, some obviously some pricing on that because it's your time, it's your energy. This is a, this is a job, even though it, we, we all love it. This is a great passion of, of uh, travel agents. So with that being said, like there, there's going to be a quid pro quo here, obviously. And I think your elevation of customer service, and I've seen this firsthand, is second to none. So were you always kind of customer driven? Because uh, that, that's being exuded right now. I've heard that a couple of times during our quick little 12 minutes here, that it's like the customers first, let's do the service, let's do the service, before you even get into like the dollar amount, like making sure there's deliverables here. So um, psychologically backing up into my childhood and anyone else's, I think people that are really good in the service business have some kind of hero syndrome. There was a time in my life when I changed schools and I had no friends and I had to really get aggressive in making people around me like me and happy. And I don't know what it is. I think that's really what it is. But if you look at people that are great in service, they want people around them to feel good, to feel pleased. And you get a high on seeing someone feel great. You're also paranoid about your reputation what other people think about you. And combine those two things together and you will be a, a staunch, not just an advocate, but like focus and, and to a level of OCD and making sure people are treated the way they should be treated. And feeling like putting myself, if I was there in that position, what would I say? And even if someone is screaming, which we don't like, but they're screaming, are they right? Are they right? Or are they just being, you know, inappropriate are they right because if they're right we got to learn a lesson from that but ultimately people do business with people not products 
and for your relationships that you build on every side of the of the spectrum for for every stakeholder, not just the customer, but your vendors, you know, your colleagues, everyone, you need to treat those people with respect and to invest in every single one of those relationships. Because if you take one of those away, the whole equation falls apart. Absolutely. So you're not going to necessarily send one of your clients to a hotel that you maybe you're not personally familiar with, that you can't guarantee the, the service expectations that you're setting the precedent for on the travel side. So obviously you're not doing this by yourself now. You've, you've graduated from being the tech and just the, the travel guy. Um, when you started adding on agents to your roster, what, do you, what key talents are you looking for? Because obviously you, you can't, there's only so much uh, you can handle for your own personal clientele. So for Embark Beyond, like what kind of agents are you looking for? That's a great question. So the question of scale, especially in service, is always a challenge because you're only as good as your weakest link. Uh-huh. And people are always a work in progress, myself included. And you're not a robot, right? And that's good and bad, right? Um, you know, AI right now, you can do things that can whip things out, but they don't have intuitive intelligence or that emotional intelligence that we say that you need sometimes. So it's extremely hard to scale. And so what we what we look for first are people that have a passion for luxury, for travel, and most importantly, for people, and who can create relationships with people and will be advocates for their clients and not look to just have a transaction, move on, and keep on going. And we believe that you need a passion for the subject matter because it's so intense. If you have a passion for your subject matter, you will it will exude automatically. So we look for that. We look for critical thinkers. And we look for people with a great EI, a great emotional intelligence or an EQ, mm-hmm. because it's so important. Again, we're in the people business. We're not in the technology business. We're not in the product business to be able to connect to people. And we say, transcend that transaction. And you know, what's, what I really love about what you just said is that not once did you say that someone has to be skilled in the software like Sabre or any of those skill sets. You mentioned only the the personality aspect, the emotional intelligence. And I read a book by Danny Myers, who was who was the owner of Shake Shack, Shack uh, Union, I think, Union Hospitality. Yeah, yep. And his book, he mentions the fifty one forty nine percent rule of hiring, which he looks at fifty one percent character traits only: emotional intelligence, how they are as people, how warm they are, like do you enjoy being around them, and only forty nine percent on skill. And the 51% always wins. And so his mentality, and I know this is your mentality, is that you rather someone who's an inspiring presence to be around, even if they don't really know the technical aspect of travel, you rather that person than the the uh, skilled wizard who has no personality and isn't delivering that service. It's funny because about 20 years ago, I came to that realization, and that's how old I am. And we literally don't even look at resumes. We never look at resumes. Interesting. We might glance at them after someone's hired, Instead, we send an assessment of skills and conversation, and that's what we care about. I don't care if you it, – sometimes it's better if you don't have experience in our field because you might come with bad traits or bad habits. You want to see well, who is your network like? What do you do? How do you work with people? How do you problem solve? How do you prioritize? Those are really the things that matter, not that I worked for six companies over the past 12 years. Right, or even have like a degree from an Ivy League school secondary importance there, right? Right. It doesn't really indicate how successful you'll be. And what we did is we really um, distilled down the things that that make a great person, a great advisor, and what that role is, and try to test for that in advance. You never know what you're going to get, but it's made mm-hmm. it so much easier for us to attract the right people and deliver. Absolutely. So, Let's continue on this uh, this story journey here a little bit. So you start working for Lawyers Travel. It seems to click with all this luxury. You're matching a lot of your passion. Finally, it's like this is like this is it. I got this. You're willing to work hard, put in the hours. Your team's growing, and I know you've already gone through the dot com bubble. We've gone through nine eleven, um, and I know what, during my tenure there, you were still kind of growing at a pretty rapid pace. And then you decided to, I believe, launch Embark. Can you, can you speak about? launching Embark. This is like your relatively new venture. So what was that? What did that look like? And we're going to get to another challenge that all of us were affected for in 2020 very soon, but just a little, little minor global <laughs> uh, pandemic. Uh, yeah. 
So, you know, the idea of Embark came out of my challenges with keeping people motivated and um, I think engaged, right? Totally committed. Ultimately, when somebody gets to the top of their game and they're an employee, they always want more. Absolutely. So the idea was, let's stop this whole thing with employees. It's not working. Even independent contractors, if they work with you, why don't we create a, a model structured like a law firm where everyone can grow to become a partner. And instead of it being about me, it becomes about we and everyone grows from the greater good of the business. And that in essence was um, really what Embark is about and started to be about. Um, That's impressive. Well, it takes that, at least I got something from being a lawyer, right? (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so, and, and that's really what it was. Again, it's about people, right? It's about a way to align my goals with all of my people's goals, goals and whether or not what they're doing directly in front of them will affect their pocket should not be their only decision in how they contribute to the co- to the company and or to their client. And so by aligning people with the, not just with their transaction, but the overall success of the company, there's a lot more of a holistic approach, a team approach, and a commitment to the business. So how is that structured then? So obviously people can potentially become partners and it looks like that you're encouraging some some in in-house growth where you're not really hiring on outside. You, you can hire someone who's young, kind of cultivate them to be like this wonderful agent and rise to the ranks. It, it, is there do you structure like profit sharing? Is there what is there incentivization programs for anyone who's who's also an entrepreneur? How could they potentially apply this to their business? So we're an entrepreneurial organization, we say, and there's no one size fits all. It's one size fits one, but in general. Um, if you have a business concept that you're incubating or want to incubate, we will do a, um, literally a profit share, but an ownership stake as well. So I have several partners. Each of them runs a sub-business. Like I have a Safari tour operator that just does safaris. And the person running it owns a significant part of that and also participates in the profit of the overall company. Uh, because now I want that person who's running the safaris to want to work with our events team and work on an event that might be on, on safari and my, um, you know, my independent contractor team or my leisure team or whatever it may be. There's incentive in both directions for everyone to want to play together and to work their butt off to make their business successful with us. And, and literally, it's a partnership. No, that, that's fantastic. And I think that that's how you really attract and retain A players because they, they're they're almost their own business within your vision in a way. And they're they're operationally focused too because it's, you know, it, it, they're focused on bringing themselves up, bringing up Embark as a whole. And now you have access to all like these other key players within the same company. To your point, doing a safari, but I also want to do a, maybe my, uh, my destination wedding there. You have the key players underneath one roof. It's a one-stop shop now. So I think that's that's brilliant because I think a lot of people get owners get stuck in that micromanaging phase where they want to control a lot of things. The people are just employees to to, our, to to your earlier point where they don't feel like there's going to be an advancement. So by setting this up, it looks like you can basically have like micro businesses within your your uh, enterprise. Exactly, so and 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 talking about being at the top, I'm at the bottom. Our chart is totally flipped. Where literally I'm at the bottom, and my job is to give everybody else the tools to succeed, not to direct them on what the, how they have to do something and what they need to do, but to set goals and to make them successful because that'll make me successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's really that's great uh, sage advice there. Um, so, all right. So you launched, I believe, in 2019. You kind of rock and roll a little bit. And then Six something- months. There wasn't even a, a little bit. <laughs> Six wow. months later, yeah, you have the- uh, I would say this affected travel and hospitality more than any other event in history, I would say, besides the great World War One and Two, right? So what, you know, lockdowns occur, um, obviously tra- travel is shut down. You have all these employees who are working for you. I'm sure it wasn't a peaceful time in, uh, in Mr. Izan's head at the, at the moment. What, were, what was well, going through your- Well, we, your, were six, we were six months in, which was a blessing and a curse. But at the end of the day, it was a blessing. 
when you're so small and you're in startup mode, you can be nimble. We didn't have to move the Titanic. We were, we were small. We were 16 people. And yes, I put so much of my money in it and I had to put more in it. But I was like, in like, guys, don't waste this crisis. We don't know what this is going to be. We don't know how long it's going to be. We have no money in the near future. But anybody who wants to stay on board, we're going to have a job for you. And it's going to be to build our resources. It's going to be to do all the things we wished we wanted to do that we have here on this paper of what we want to achieve in five years. We're going to do it now when the world's not open and nothing's distracting us. And guess what? Everybody else is hibernating. We're going to accelerate. And it wasn't easy because people emotionally were very affected. But everyone had an opportunity to contribute to what we've built. And COVID was definitely the most challenging time in my career, but it was also the most rewarding. I do not think we would be where we are, the size that we are, uh, at the level that we're at in just three and a half years if it wasn't for COVID. How about that? It really helped us build that foundation and that infrastructure when you know, not, when we weren't distracted by actually operating a business. And we did operate, and we actually, believe it or not, not by a lot of money, but we were profitable by about $13,000 a year. And that's because we were forced to really distill what we did for our customers. Now, again, you were talking about customers. We believe we're a customer-centric organization. And while we seem like a travel company, our approach is we're a marketing company that sells travel. We're a luxury marketing company, and a good marketing company is all about being customer-centric and listening and understanding the customers. And so I remember some of the things that made us profitable were, number one, what is everybody doing right now? They're home. They're stuck. Help. And so we created programs to bring the world to them. We said, you want to go to Paris to learn cooking, uh, French cooking? Well, guess what? We could do a one-on-one course with the Ritz Paris to learn cooking from their cooking, you know, from their famous Escoffier cooking school. And when you're done with it, you got a trip to Paris to meet your chef. And that'll be $10,000. You know, we had kids that were at home that didn't have extracurricular activities, jewelry um, uh, classes from Cartagena. But we also brought in a professor from Harvard, a, a dean, actually, that helped us create these programs that actually educated the kids. So believe it or not, that jewelry class was also either a math or a science class, depending on what the kids needed to learn. And so we made money with that. We made money and we connected with new customers and we got amazing PR opening camps for people in their backyards. Camps? You guys got creative, man. I love it. Get involved in camps here. We would send away a family and program activities and experiences for families and for kids. We said, okay, the world's a little bit opening up in May, right? Let's send you for a month to Montana and we'll send a camp counselor with you so that, you know, you can work remote and your kids will have something to do in Montana. Well, you know, we had all these counselors that had no jobs because summer camps were closed. So that started to work. But then people came back and they're like, I'm back home in the Hamptons or in wherever I am. And I need something to do with my kids. There's nothing for them to do. There's no camp this summer. And so we're like, well, why don't we just do it in your backyard with 10 other families? And we didn't even realize we were in the camp business that summer. We had counselors in about 10 different locations. We were running all these backyard summer camps, infusing what we do around the world in people's backyards. And so, you know, we were forced to think different. We opened up a brokerage, uh, embarked brokerage, because people wanted to stay long term, six months in one time in Mexico City, sometimes in Arizona, Florida. And we started renting them apartments and kind of what we were doing, right? Long term villa stays, but why not make it so that we can start renting something else, a home or an apartment, wherever they go? So we took the essence of what we did and we applied it to what was relevant or what our customers were thinking at the time. That's incredible, Jack. I mean, talk about creativity, like kind of backed in the corner. I know a lot of other travel agencies folded who are open for 20 odd years, 30 years. So you guys got super creative and figured out all of these. I, I, I think you just listed seven ways to continuously serve your clients. 
So I'm sure this set the bedrock for when travel did open, and now it's open with a fury, I would say, to, to really kind of excel. So how long would you say that, when did you start seeing the travel uptick happen again? Was it two, 2021, would you say? Yes, really, it was 21. It was a new year, and it was still challenging, and the world was like opening. Always the requirement, right? People were done. And we were in an amazing position. We built such amazing resources. Like we even know if you're going to a certain hotel in whatever city, what room numbers to request by room category. We have details on every city, best restaurant lists, best beach clubs and nightclubs. We have built this tremendous resource that nobody in the business has. And as we're doing this, you know, we're good at PR because we're great at storytelling and we've done these things where nobody was doing anything. So Media were writing about us because there was no one else, nothing else to write about. You were featured on a, on a CNN, I think, or MSNBC. I saw you on a couple of news shows. Like you were the go-to. Like, what's the world coming to, Jack? You know. <laughs> so people were coming to us to work with us and to affiliate with us, and that's how the floodgates opened. Literally, we went from sixteen people to two hundred and twenty-five people in a year and a half, and then another fifty Incredible. the next year, and then we opened fifty. We have another fifty people now in Brazil. And it was it was that foundation that we were able to build. And also, um, what we did is um, really look at everything that made us a su- successful in service and break that down, right? And so we've created something called the 15 Standards, our Embarked Credo. Right. Our whole mission actually changed during COVID. Our mission statement has nothing to do with travel. It's leverage our relationships to build connections. Again, take apart, distill what we really ultimately do, and that's what we deliver. And we deliver it to enable people to build stronger connections with themselves, the people they're with, the places they go, and to advance their aspirations, just using travel as a platform, not as an end. And we created these 15 standards. We, I said, want to operate like the best hotel in the world does. Think of the best four seasons around Amman. They have something called morning lineup every day. Everybody gets together. They go over what those standards are, what's hot, what's new, what glitches they've had, and how do we fix them. And they're constantly talking about wins and fails. And we literally replicated that. And we'd still do it today. Every day, every day at 11 a.m., or it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you we have something called a 15 to 20-minute lineup. And that's what we go over. We go over one of our 15 standards. We talk about how we bring those into play. And those are the basis on how every one of us are able to take that original ethos and take it and make it uh, put into their everyday life and let it manifest itself with each customer. Can you share with me just one or two of those 15 steps? Uh, Okay. Number one is loyalty is one from the heart and not the pocket. And it's all about committing to creating emotional impact. Every client, every time, it's an EI factor, right? You can give anybody the points and the discounts they want, but that's manipulating the customer. We want to inspire the customer. And we really believe their true loyalty is how you make someone feel. And that's true luxury, how you make them feel, not what you give them. Very true. What else can I say? Um, Glitches are an opportunity for greatness. No matter what, like we said before, in the human business, it's never going to be perfect. You can strive for perfection all you want, but humans are always a work in progress and they're never going to be consistent. You Very true. Have to, but it's not about the glitch. It's how you recover from it. The glitch is going to happen. You're going to always learn new things, but you will have to commit to making a mess into a masterpiece. And those glitch clients will become your best clients if you recover right. It's how you recover, how you take failure and it refines you, not defines you. And, every and accountability, way. like taking ownership of like, hey, this is we messed up a little bit here, but this is what we're doing to rectify it. And this is how we're going to perfect this from not happening again. And we actually have a 10 step glitch recovery process. Okay. It's a lot about that validation. It's a lot about um, being overly generous in your solution and really going above and beyond to, to take that opportunity to win a new customer. So pretend I'm a new customer, right? And I have, it's myself, my wife, and I have two young children. I'm like, hey, I really want to do an incredible once-in-a-lifetime trip somewhere in Europe. No idea where I want to go. How, how did it embark, kind of go through the process of saying, okay, well, maybe Southern France would be great. Maybe Italy would be a, a perfect for you. 
Like what are the steps kind of taking to truly listen to the client? Great question. So one of our um, approaches, we have a five-step approach. But one I love of these the approaches, 15 steps, 10 step for glitches, five-step approach. You, you kind of need that when you want to scale, right? People have sure. to have a process. Um, but one of the things um, is one of the most important things we talk about is listen to focus on ingredients and not deliverables. Huh. The first thing you say is why. Let's understand the meaning, the purpose. What's your vision? Not where you want to go. Some people may say, I want to go to Bora Bora. And then you ask why. And like my friend said, it's the best place to go on a honeymoon. But tell yeah. me about yourself. I love to be active. We love to see things. I'm like, you know, you might be bored after three days on a beach with nothing else to do. But let's understand that core why. And then you can also sell the world by aspiration, not right? By aspiration, not destination. Because that's what our business is. Again, travel is a platform. It's not It's not a bucket list. It might really? be, you might want to see the Eiffel Tower, but there's really more to that that you really want. Especially right. our customers are like somewhat more well-traveled. They may want to see Machu Picchu because they never saw it, but there's usually something beneath that. And usually you want to create memories of the person you're with. You want to maybe pursue a passion you have something maybe you want to get back in shape yeah understanding the why and that would be the first thing that we would do and that discussion is deep and ongoing is really understanding your customer because our job is to match our customer and then people ask where do i specialize in what part of the world we don't take that approach you specialize in your client and you know the world and your job is to create uh, to match your customers' needs and profile the time they're going and who they're going with, with the world. I, I think it's almost unfair to even call you guys travel consultants because it seems to be so much more than that. <laughs> it, it, this is like a very broad, you're, you're getting to really know someone on a very personal relationship level too. It's like peeling back the, the onion to your point of like, you know, I, 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 I'm adventurous and this and that. Well, Bali's maybe not for you. You don't want to sit on that beach. So let's, let's, how about these three places instead? You know, and and kind of going into it, and I assume you're asking questions of like your family makeups, your mm -hmm. dynamics. You know, is grandma coming? Is is does she need to have a wheelchair? Like all these steps, I know that that you guys are taking behind the scenes to ensure that when they do go on this trip, it blows away every expectation. And Steve, make no mistake, a lot of that can be replicated sooner rather than later with the next big disruptor, and that of course is artificial intelligence, uh, and my our approach that we're already investing in is a we need much more robust crm and we are working on our own artificial intelligence platform and it's not to replace us it's going to happen but what we, we need to do is augment our ability by what a computer might be able to do better and what we're really now embarking on pun intended is to help all of our people reposition themselves with that relationship and that understanding of you better. And that will help augment what a computer might think. So I say it's a marriage of artificial intelligence and intuitive intelligence and judgment that I don't think a computer will ever replicate. The emotional piece that a computer can't replicate. It can tell me a lot more and predict where Steve might want to go based on the why, but I need to put the frosting on the cake. And our people now need to, and I think many people in the service business need to focus on transcending that transaction, focusing on that relationship with the customer, the relationship on their vendors, and sell and invest more in a relationship and use what technology can do. And that's not brain science. That's happened generation after generation with anything that disrupts. It's using the disruption to your advantage and not letting it dis, uh, dis, um, integrate you. It's when the, when the horse and buggy got replaced by the car, you change with the existing times. And if we can stay on AI for a moment, what specific disruptions do you see kind of coming through the pipeline and how are you embracing this within within the company to use as a tool, essentially a very powerful tool? Like what's the biggest change that you're you're currently witnessing? Well, it's really still in its embryonic stages or maybe it's infancy, I should say. 
Um, look, if you say, Jack, I need the perfect itinerary for me to go with my two kids and my wife to Paris next summer with a five-day itinerary of great things I can do with my kids and they love tennis and soccer and art, put something great together for me. You can do that right now in ChatGPT. ChatGPT, yeah, they'll all spew and out a private itinerary. I'm give you a pretty good, you know, uh, uh, idea of what to do. What we need to do is say it does, but let me get it from 80 to 100, and here's how I can do that. And by the way, I know the girls love tennis. Let me see what I can do because I know someone at uh, Roland Garros to get them into the mm. stadium and maybe meet someone. And I also know someone at this, you know, um, the, the best macaron maker and that works at La Durée, and I can get them to meet them and make macarons with them because they love macarons, whatever that might be. And I can also create really cool emotional impact moments, depending on everything I know about you, that are really not tangible, but intangible. And ultimately, that's what your memory is going to be about. And that's so important. So we need to leverage both. Absolutely. No, 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 no. I think the, the curation of that experience is important because that, you know, AI can give you this whole itinerary to your point, but I think the the magic is going to be in that people connection. And I know we spoke about this for the past 40 minutes already, but it, that won't go away. That I think, it, unless we have in the hundred years, an AI that is, you know, human-based, um, you're going to need that connection because not everyone's going to know how to get to that special macaroon maker, right? right. So okay. I think well, that's what where the process Yeah, is. and what we're doing is, we're actually bringing on a lot of luxury brands from Hermes to Chanel to Bulgari. And we are working on what is called in retail, the art of clienteling. And anybody in the service space needs to do this. Everyone. And if you, if you look at what retail's done in luxury, when they saw the world changing from people buying and investing in goods to investing in experiences and relationships, is they have changed the way they do business. And it's remarkable. They've done better than hospitality and they were inspired by hospitality. If you walk in to any real luxury brand, whether it's Dior, Louis Vuitton, or Bottega Veneta, or Gucci, and you're a top customer, you will know that you're a top customer. You're not just walking in the door. That's all about a relationship. Some of those stores are curated specifically with a customer in mind. Everything they do is about that relationship and making you feel special, not about the product you're buying. It's not about the bag. It's not about the cuff. It's not about the shawl. It's about the relationship you have with your customer and how they encourage every one of their team members to invest in that relationship and make them feel special and exclusive. Right. And I, I think if you wanted like a, a, a Dior product and you just kind of ordered it online, you're missing out on what it means to kind of go into the store, get that experiential, you know, customer service level skills that only a person can add those touches to. Or so, they'll call you up and say, I have this new, these new, you know, this new ensemble, this new bag that hasn't hit the floor yet. Ugh. Do you want, know your style. want me to send it to you even if you don't want to come to the store? I'll do anything for you. Or we're doing a beautiful dinner next month in... Milan, would you like me to fly you over? Would you like to come to the fashion show? Would you like to come? You know, we have a box at the U.S. Open. What about enjoying it and sending some gifts, reminding you about your whether it's a birthday or just a nice day or whatever it is? I am thinking about you. I am here for you, and I am one of your advocates in the world for what I, what you, how you want to pursue your life. I think that that's so incredibly unique too. I think that most people don't know it until they experience it. Like I've had the fortune of staying at, at the Four Seasons and the level of service experience, it just, it blows me away every time I stay at them. You know, that they just know what your needs are before you even have to request it. And they just always go above and beyond. It seems like that's exactly what Embark Beyond is doing, pun intended there, <laughs> to, to really exceed these expectations. And the only way you really do that is by asking specific questions and really getting getting to know your client in such a deep way, it seems. So now that you've grown to 230 plus agents, what's the next five-year plan? Now that you're approaching that five-year initial stage, like where do you see Embark Beyond? Do you want to continue to grow more agents if to scalability? 
Is it more of like really still honing on that that customer element and focusing on that specific avatar? Um, do you even want, do you want to grow? Do you feel like you just want to kind of improve processes? Genuinely curious. Look, um, my vision is to go to become a billion dollar company in the next four years. It's not necessarily with more bodies. It's it might it will be, but not just about the volume of people. It's the quality of people, and it's the verticals in which we integrate, like events, like going into certain markets and building. A, you know, we have a safari business. I mentioned, um, like growing. You know, other initiatives in other um, parts of the world and bringing our model. Like we launched in Brazil, we want to launch in Mexico, in Europe, to bring the model to other um, other geographical regions that don't have the model. We also are investing super very heavily in technology right now, as I mentioned, in CRM and artificial intelligence um, and other platforms, which you know I think can help us scale and maybe the rest of our industry. Excellent. And I know you're at, not at a billion dollars yet, but what is the total gross revenue currently from hard zero in, in uh, we're the 2019? About, we're about a quarter of the way there. That's amazing, Jack. Bravo, man. Oh, this is, this, <laughs> like I said, you are a humble, you're a humble gentleman. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't, we, got, we got three quarters of the way to go, so now we got to get there. <laughs> exactly. But, but no, it, I, I, I promise you. Quick growth. It's really about right now growing smart. And while I... I could be making so much more money in my pocket. You have to invest right now in your future. And every anybody listening needs to do this. It's so great to buy a bigger house and take a, you know, take the bonanza of what's going on now. But you have to see what's up ahead. There's going to be a lot of change and a lot of disruption. And you really need to invest not just in technology, but in people and getting your people ready for what's going to happen. Absolutely. Now, I always love to wrap things up with a question, the same question I ask every entrepreneur. Let's rewind the clock back to that young, uh, still handsome Jackie's on 22, 25-year-old man who was maybe fresh out of law school. What would you have done differently back then, knowing what you know now? Everybody tells you the same thing. They would never do anything differently because whatever their path was was exactly what they were, where they, what made them who they are now, right? Does everybody say that? No, you're probably the first one. No <laughs> way. I, yeah, my, people are always like, oh, I wish I doubled down on and just left my job earlier. But I, that's my approach. Yeah, <laughs> your mind. scars will make you who you are, man. <laughs> the scars. Really embrace your failures because your failures are opportunities. Embrace all those doors that shut down. The sale starts when the answer is no. And, you know, w- but look at those challenges you had for the next one too when the next COVID comes around remember you got through the last one and how are you going to get through this one even smarter so yeah i mean it sounds pretty for me to say oh i didn't need to go to law school i could add six more years of my life you know what everything happens for a reason and believe it and own it and one of our standards is solutions created before the problem you just need to find it you need to know that everything happens for a reason and it happens for you and not to you. And that there's a reason and a solution at the end for whatever challenge you're dealing with. And you just need to be tenacious and have faith in your abilities that you can overcome it and not just overcome it, but supersede it. Thanks for that, Jack. And you know, it's, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I learned more from watching you silently in most cases how to how you built these relationships directly with your clients how you spoke to your teammates and your your uh, your staff your staff and you have this natural innate ability to really connect with people in, a, in an emotional way where you understand them and you make sure that you you know you let them know that you're that they're heard and they're not just part like a number or or anything like that and i watched this for my four or five years innovation i was part of the corporate team I just happened to have the good fortune of sitting next to you guys. And I watched it and that I've taken those lessons. Like you said, everything kind of happens for a reason. And that's how I'm applying it to my business with that, the idea of service first, money second, or money fifth, I would even say. So it should be your employees, number one, service, number two, and then all, all the secret sauce that kind of makes your company. So I thank you for allowing me to witness that, even though you didn't know you were my mentor, I think you just exuded that. 
just the, 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 the presence of that. And I've had incredible opportunities. I mean, I've done events with you guys in, in uh, Morocco and Italy. I've uh, um, done things in Mexico with Eli. So it's, it's been a hell of an experience to, uh, to, be, to be around you guys. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for being on the show. And if, before I even go, if someone wants to use your services, right? If they want to ex- get to know you and experience what we just kind of went over, I, I would say you guys are the, the four seasons of travel and even beyond that, honestly. Um, and I think you're, you're going to get that reputation very, very quickly, if not so, if not already so. Where can they find out more about you? You can go to our website if you like. It's embarkbeyond.com. You can email me direct if you like, jack at embarkbeyond.com. Uh, and you can so always I do love that your website, your email to get is on the website. Yeah, it is. Your, your email is on the website, so you don't it hide is. behind that. Yeah, <laughs> always accessible, twenty four seven. Yeah, for good or bad, right? For good or bad. And I'll end on this note. Where's the next trip for you? Where are you headed off to? Because I know you've been to how many countries now? Fifty three, something crazy. I don't even know. I lost track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard to count. <laughs> I am going to uh, a great trade show in Las Vegas. It's not sexy. It's not my favorite place in the world to go. Uh, Called Virtuoso in about three weeks. Enjoy. Um, my next big trip is probably Hong Kong. For I'm on the board of travel in Asia for them. So no kidding. Yeah, that's a whole other topic. But yeah, that's wonderful. Yep, Jack. Thank you again so much thank for being you, part Steve. of the show. So proud to see your growth and uh, see where you are. Excellent, man. We'll, we'll always stay in touch. Take you care. Are. Thank you for tuning into Service Business Success with Class. Are you craving more strategies to supercharge your business growth? You can connect with me at successwithclass.com or on my Instagram at Stevie Class. And remember, when you hit subscribe, it's a win-win. You'll get your hands on all the latest tips and you'll be supporting the show too. Thanks again for joining. Until next time.